Welcome back, literary slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, a podcast <laughs> where, where nope. we read books outside of our comfort zones. I'm M. I didn't know we were really going to do a whole thing sad, the whole episode sad. <laughs> that was my calm voice. <laughs> oh, I thought you were, j- I'm Anna. <laughs> I thought you were sad. <laughs> no, I'm very calm. Okay, I can I can work with this energy. I just feel, um, I just feel like we I hyped a lot before we started recording, and I need to come down a little bit. Like, okay, yeah, no, I I, I someone who has never been calm a day in my life, I'm fully <laughs> equipped to handle this. Let me um, hold on. Um, um, this week on Shelf Aware, we read the. <laughs> I can't. I can't even you think can. of the book I we read. I'm so focused on being calm. <laughs> Pretend you're on NPR. Okay. Um. <laughs> this week on Shelf Aware, we read the stunning novel, <laughs> The Book of Unknown Americans the by Christina you... Enriquez. I had to look. <laughs> the way you hit the T on that stunning. <laughs> look, I've spent a lot of years riding in the car with Michael who listens to only NPR. You know, that's fair. oh all right yeah we read a book um surprise it's actually us guys i know you didn't realize the whole time (laughs) yeah we did we read a book we this is our episode on the third book in our unit on the great american novel we -hmm. wanted to kind of update our meaning on the great american novel by reading more recent books as opposed to whatever's already in the american literary canon and we have kind of focused on a more diverse american experience i guess you could say and that brought us to here today to the book of unknown americans by christina enriquez here we are here we are it's us Anna and M. Another really good, really sad book that we're going to have to talk about on our comedy podcast. Look, I'm sorry. I I feel like when I brought uh, uh, the idea of, when I first thought of like great American novels, I was like, great, these will all suck because they'll all be classics. But then I was like, wait, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm really glad. I I personally am glad in the direction that we went for my own personal Mm -hmm. reading experience. Mm -hmm. Um, As for like the talking about and then you guys listening to experience i don't know where you guys fall on that (laughs) it's hard it's hard to goof about these things um it is extremely difficult (laughs) it's a sad book you guys it's a real real sad book i how would you rate this one in sadness of the three great american novels we read i think we can go ahead and say that in our definition of great american novels has to be sad doesn't have to be sad the whole way through but there's got to be something sad in it right yeah it's got to be it the the struggle to read it has to be equitable to the struggle it took to live through that Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. it seems no i'm not saying that because I read about, that's <laughs> not what I'm saying. Yeah. I immediately knew as soon as I finished the joke, I was like, that was how about, how not going to come across great. The struggle to read it is a microcosm of the struggle of yes. going through it. A, a fraction a, of a small the fraction. struggle. A yes. A sousson. Yes. Yes. My question is between, because I realized I didn't get to the question in the thing I just said. Um, of the three, how do you rank them in sadness? I think, obviously, Great Gatsby is the least sad because mm-hmm. it was about rich white people. <laughs> Most sad. I think, okay, here's the thing. I think this book was sadder to me because it was more relevant, but mm. not, like, I think the color purple sadness was better, mm. if that makes sense. I think the sadness of this book, I didn't, I didn't want it. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't care for it. I mm-hmm. think we read okay, so we I, I understand like there is a variety what am I trying to say here? Who knows? To me, okay, as someone who has gone through first generation immigrant here, I to me felt like this this was an excellent book and I'm glad I read it, but I'm not maybe 
someone who needed to read it. Mm. Um, and for me personally, I would have preferred an immigration story that had uh, any modicum of happiness to it at all. Sure. Because that is, you know, not every story is going to be this sad tale of and yes there are like a lot of this did ring very true for me and my experience of seeing what my mom has gone through but like why can't why can't anyone have a happy ending in this book why i mean yeah i I think you can argue some of the characters might have but also they weren't the focal characters so i don't really know the point of arguing that um yeah yeah most of the most of the main characters were pretty sad by the end of the. I this mean, book like, ended sad. up with them moving back to Mexico. They were mm-hmm. like, "Nope, done. We did it, and we didn't like it. Goodbye." <laughs> I mean, we're glad for the experience. We'll remember it forever. But now we're done. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree in the general ranking rankings of sadness that this one is the saddest. Right? Yes. I think I also agree. Color purple. I don't know though, because color purple, like, some real rough stuff happens in it. Mm-hmm. I, and I think you're right. I think that I felt sadder reading Color Purple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also more of a, it was more of a, like, highs and lows, right? Where, like, yes, immensely. there was emotional, like, I don't want to say depth because that makes it seem like this one doesn't have emotional depth, which isn't what I'm saying. But there was, like, um, several, several instruments, several instruments in the emotional orchestra were playing while this was more like a beautiful flute solo right yes um where it's like depending how long it is after a while you're like okay i do get it i am very sad this whole time yes (laughs) but i i think overall i did like this book um i think that there were some things i really liked about it there was one thing I really hated about it, um, but I mm. don't think I hated it enough to make me not like the book. Um, yeah. And overall, let's kind of move from that to talking to how this fits into like American literature. Is this a great mm-hmm. American novel, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think we, we kind of discussed in the last episode in this unit that there is no such thing as the great American novel, right? Like, yes. Because nothing can possibly encompass all aspects of American culture. Um, Do you think this is a great American novel? And what is a great American novel? Yeah, so this book was, we found um, an article on Bustle that said, if you are, um, if you don't want to read like the classic great American novel, here's what you can read instead. And this was the um, replacement, I guess, for The Mm -hmm. Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. I super didn't remember that it was the replacement for Grapes of Wrath, and that is shocking to me that that's what it's replacing. Yeah, and I guess I can kind of, like... Because I know exactly which one I think this one should replace. Which one do you think? Great Gatsby. Oh, every book should replace. Well, yeah, but, okay, like, stick with me on this. Okay, okay. The plot of this is, and I'm not saying this was, like, Enriquez's... Uh, intention or anything like that. I don't think she was like trying to chomp great Gatsby, Gatsby Steez because who would want to do that? Um, <laughs> she was but coming I, for the old sport. I think if you look at it of like the plot beats of this mm-hmm. are kind of similar to Great Gatsby. It's like people like moved to... was kind of a J. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People moved mm-hmm. to new area. Um, they kind of get enmeshed in this like culture there. Uh there is a sad misunderstanding that spoiler for the end of this book. So, you know, skip 10 seconds if you don't want to know and are going to skip the rest of the podcast, I guess. Um, (laughs) But there is a misunderstanding that leads to someone's death by shooting. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's like a one-to-one. I'm not saying that like the themes are the same or anything, but like, I I feel like this fits that sort of vibe way closer than like grapes of wrath, which I feel like is, I mean, I guess sort of like it's almost the inverse where it's like Great Gatsby's about mm-hmm. annoying rich people and this is about like not as annoying <laughs> poor people. Um, and Grapes of Wrath is also about poor people, but I don't know. Yeah. I just, I guess the migrant worker thing of that, but like this isn't about migrant workers. So, yeah, I, mean, I think really. the closest we get to is like the dad working at the mushroom farm. Right. But like, I guess it's about like 
moving your family to try and give them a better life mm-hmm. and then just every tragedy you could think of occurring along the way yes um but also like some of the tragedies occur before the start of the book and then there's not true. really that i mean like there's like the losing the job stuff but like it kind of everything life comes at you fast in the last 25 percent of this book oh my gosh yes this was such a slow and quiet book and then the end happened and i was like holy moly um so i mean i think is this is this a book that needs to reach a wider audience yes i think this is a book that would be very good for a lot of people to read um but like i said i just i wanted i was looking for something more uplifting Mm. so I guess if you are very focused on one, like, note of the American experience, like how how it could go wrong, um, then this is the book for you. Though, like we like Em said, there are, like, some success stories in this book. It's just they're kind of told in these, like, random short story chapters, I guess. Which um, maybe that, that's, that's the Grapes of Wrath thing, right? Because there's those interstitial chapters in Grapes of Wrath, too. So maybe that's what yeah, they're going fucking for. turtle trying to cross the Yeah, road. that turtle. Every every high school student in America knows of that turtle. Oh my God. <laughs> I think that's where I put the book down, and I was like, I'm done now. <laughs> I saw it through to the end. Rosa Sharn? Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> Is that I the one that ends with the breastfeeding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'm bisexual now. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have you to thank. <laughs> No, what, that would be the weirdest fucking sexual awakening if that was the uh, breastfeeding yeah. scene in Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> no. I would have just a couple follow-up questions. Um. <laughs> Is this a great American novel? Sure. Why not? Mainly because I don't know that there is any point to, to anything that we're doing here. Uh, <laughs> in terms of like, what what is a great american novel now right i feel like yeah. when we talk about it it's usually like okay it is a book that has been canonized so it's really hard to talk about uh and obviously the the canon is a you know mm-hmm. depends who you're talking to right it's not an actual thing that everyone agrees on right um but you know the books that get taught a lot in schools uh i s- could see this fitting into that i think certainly this would be a fine book to teach in in like, in like- for like juniors seniors yeah um but aside from that it's kind of like what does it mean for contemporary novels it's hard to say what will be a great american novel 20 Mm -hmm. years from now because we don't know um i definitely think was like one of the points that was made in that essay Mm -hmm. that the guy wrote I don't remember anything from that researcher did, but like he was like, it, it's a novel that when it is first published kind of flies under the radar, mm-hmm. but then once time passes and you go back and look at it and you're like, ah, yes, this was encompassing of yeah this idea. So, you know, this was, this came out in 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's been six, seven years. Yeah. Um, and I definitely saw there were like certain notes of things where I was like, yeah, this feels like a thing that I would be going over in, an English class 20 years from now and the teacher would be like so let's go over the politics of the time so we can understand the, what yes. the author was talking about to talk you know about the great recession right 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 um so I mean like the great American novel as a thing that has cultural value and historical significance maybe uh mm-hmm. it's hard to say if this does because we are not that far out from it but uh, yeah. you know I think it fits in with most of the great American novels that I know of. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good book, and it's the writing, I think, is very... It's, like, simple but very powerful writing, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and the story itself is very... It's, like, a small story, but it's very... I don't know. Very meaningful. It I is... Guess. I would say it is at least uh, enough plot... Because I think that is also a thing. I feel like most great American novels have some sort, like... Like the plot is is the struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I do think this works. And I think kind of moving from that to who would we recommend this to. I don't know. If you're like a junior year English teacher and you're looking for something 
throw on the syllabus. I know there's <laughs> a- probably absolutely no way you can do that because of the way that like most schools are structured in their um, like rules for what teachers can and can't teach. But you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe check this one out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say this is this is open for a pretty wide audience. I think um, I would. Watch out. There is, like I said, there's some gun violence. Obviously, racism mm-hmm. plays a big part in this. Um, and also some, there, there's a lot of the R word. And that never got, like, mm-hmm. both talked both about. Both R words, I believe. Yes. So, um, you know, just as always, read with caution. But I thought it, it's, it's, a, it's a short book. And like I said, the language of it is very, very clear, but very, very beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, it's a quiet story. So if quiet character driven th- books are not your thing then maybe don't pick this one up but otherwise do yeah it was it was a good book and i it was just a, it was a fairly short book like great guess yes not like it, went, grapes it of flew Rat. by yeah yeah we know you're um, a busy on the go woman <laughs> things to do in your day you don't have all your time to be sitting around reading about grapes and wrath just read this book instead it's the, basically the same thing same thing no breastfeeding at the end no breastfeeding yeah, no breastfeeding at all. Actually, I don't think. I don't think, they I, think I can talk safely about it. say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think I I I would have appreciated more a book that did document the struggles, but then also like emphasized more the the joys of those of those outcomes. I think like the book did a little bit in that like penultimate chapter where it was mm-hmm. from the dad's point of view. Um, where he talked about like, yeah, I would, I would do it again if, if I, if I went back, I would do it all over again. Um, and you know, I love my neighbors and this and that. And I just, it wasn't quite enough for me to cancel out the other events that had happened. So (laughs) I I really, yeah, I really wanted to like it, but the sadness was too, too overly sad Mm. for me. Yeah, it, again, I think for me, it was missing those highs and lows, you know? Yes, there was, yeah, it was one one note, which is, it feels like a really nasty thing to say, but it kind of, it kind of was. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, again, one note is the, the thing we're saying, but like I said, like one instrument, that doesn't mean it's bad, it's just yeah. that like. It, That's the whole mood, that just is, know you, that going in. Yeah, just be prepared for that. <laughs> yes, it does not let go of that but speaking of of books about the immigrant experience I've actually got a recommendation this week that fits (gasps) in with that please it's not my main recommended reading but I did read this uh last week a book that I backed on kickstarter um and it's coming out soon called um our stories carried us here which is a graphic novel anthology released by green card voices Mm -hmm. and it's a bunch of different stories from written by like basically just uh, various immigrants, a lot of like, there's some that are still in high school and some who are like professional at this point, um, just kind of telling their immigration story and cool. uh, illustrated by various other uh, immigrant artists. And it was a really neat anthology. I would say also a little bit same instrument in that it wasn't like there weren't those highs and lows necessarily, but it was like very matter of fact and just kind of like some of them were like, a little up- uplifting but for the most part it was like I feel like a lot of times when you get into kind of like uplifting immigrant stories it's kind of like oh this feels model minority yes yes and mm-hmm. that definitely wasn't the vibe here it was more just like hey this is like what it was like for me as a person coming from another country to this country and mm-hmm. I like that it was a lot of different uh perspectives and kind of different paths and things like that um and like reasons for coming here it sounds really cool i like that it's a graphic novel format too yeah and it was you know like people just telling their actual stories not necessarily like writers or anything like that just like i think there was like a biochemist and like a high school junior and like so just like kind of everyday people um so if you want a a swath of immigrant stories that one's kind of cool to check out on the complete opposite side of things, if you want a book that's also kind of one instrument, if we're going to use that term instead of one note uh, to describe it, um, <laughs> I also read uh, Riot Baby by Tochi Onyabuchi, which I've been meaning mm-hmm. to read his book War Girls for a while now, but I haven't gotten around to it. And they had this mm-hmm. one at the library um, available for me to read. So I did. And it is 
Whew, uh, some heavy stuff, some challenging oh, stuff. I think I own this book. I haven't mm-hmm. read it yet, though. It is about a um, pair of siblings, one of whom is born during the Rodney King riots and uh, their kind of experience being black in America, and also they have magical powers and kind of their... Uh, eventual journey into whether or not they should just burn everything down and it is I would say very justifiably angry in tone yeah um I definitely teared up a couple times um and I think it was also a book that would be kind of in the running for a great American novel of Uh, Although, interestingly, it does fall into the fantasy camp, and I don't know if there are very many great American novels that are fantasy or spec fic in general. I don't know if they make the list. I think you have to be just straight up no-nonsense. Yeah, spec fic gets a a pretty bad rap in Mm -hmm. the literary circles. Yeah, yeah, so Uh, how about you? Did you read anything good this week? I did. I read I read one book because here's I, I loved this book. I read it. But every time I picked it up, I would make like a huge dent in it. And then I'd be like, I still have 100 pages left of this book. It was like <laughs> it was like this magical book that would never end. It was it was bizarre. I don't understand what was going on. Maybe my math is bad and it just seemed like it was endless. But I, I swear I'd read 50 pages and I'd put it down and be like, there's 100 more pages left. And then the next day I'd read like 30 more pages. There's still 100 pages left. <laughs> Um, I read We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry, oh. which um, had actually a little bit to do with the topic at hand, more so than I thought it would. But it is a book about a uh, women's field hockey team, high school seniors in um, the Salem, Massachusetts area in 1989. And they are kind of known for being a very bad team. Like the whole high school is their sports are not good. And so they're, they always have losing seasons, but the girls decide this year is going to be our season. We're going to win state championships. And so um, because they live in, I think it, it's the town that used to be Salem village and mm-hmm. they kind of just decide that they're going to resort to witchcraft in order to win. Sensible. Yes. And it was just such, it was such a weird book written in like the first person plural. Mm. And because like by the end of it, well, that's kind of spoilers. I don't want to say, never mind. But there's a reason why it is written that way. And it's just, there's so many characters and they all get highlighted in each chapter. And I just, I loved it a lot more than I thought I was going to. There's like a couple characters, um, there's like there's a black character and a couple Asian characters, one who has been adopted by like a very religious white family. And so they talk a lot about like the difficulties of growing up, especially in the 80s um, in, in a mostly white community. Um, and yeah, I just I love it. One of the characters arcs ends with them burning every copy of this, every copy of. Um, oh, my God, what is it? Huckleberry Finn that the school mm. has because they're like, this book is bullshit. Why is it in the American canon? And they just burn every copy of it. Anyway, it's very good. It's just teenage girls um, acting up in the name of the devil <laughs> in order to win at field hockey. <laughs> oh, that's such a good tagline for something. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's, I, I think it's also written through for an adult audience. I think it gets tagged as young adult a little bit because it is about – high school seniors, but it's written from the view, I think, of adults looking back on their yeah. child is the tone I took from it. So if you're kind of on the fence about like, oh, I don't want to read a young adult book, I, this is more adult skewing. So definitely would something I have never been on the fence about ever in my life. Um, <laughs> hey, some of you might have grown up tastes. I don't know. <laughs> I am an undiscerning reader. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right, well, cool. Let's talk about being discerning readers and reading American, great American novels like this book. Yes, we're so well read. Um, <laughs> sure. Let's talk about this book. Um, so the book of Unknown Americans, we basically follow, we get two perspectives. One from Alma, who is the mother of Maribel, the wife of her husband, whose name's escaping Arturo. Me Thank you. Um, They move to America because their daughter, Maribel, has suffered a traumatic brain injury 
um, she there was like she fell from a height at her dad's um, work site because he is a contractor and because of this injury she had like swelling on the brain and they had to like do brain surgery and it left her personality affected and also like a lot of her um like learning development and other things like just a whole a whole slew of uh developmental issues that they felt was best to go to a school in America to help her heal so Arturo uh, applies for a work visa and is sponsored by a mushroom farm in Pennsylvania, and they move to Delaware, and they send Maribel to school there. Um, they basically, they leave behind their life, everyone they know, bringing very few belongings, and live in a very, uh, it's a very, a manner they're not accustomed to, like, they're very, suddenly, like, money is a huge issue, and, like, obviously, they don't speak English, and so it's hard for them to get by, like, they, they're buying groceries at the gas station, because they don't know how to ask where a grocery store is, um, but they move into an apartment complex that is also home to a lot of immigrants from, um, from, like, Latin, Latin American, America. yeah, <laughs> words, Latin American countries, and, um, they, kind of have built their own community here of, you know, even though we are not all from the same country, um, Americans all view us as if we are. So it was very um, in the Heights in that scene where everybody throws their flag up, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I know that's a divisive movie for many I reasons. I liked it. It was all right. <laughs> I have, I mean, I'm, I'm a stage musical purist, so. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I in theory I like musicals. I don't like the length of musicals. I'm like 3 hours can't do it. I think I feel you on that one, but also like there's an intermission, so, you know. There is. And then but the intermission is a tease because then you have to go back in and sit still for oh, another hour right. to an hour and a half. Right. <laughs> but like, how many damn. how many Marvel movies have you sat through without an intermission that are so nearly that length? So many. And the hot guys <laughs> just punch each other. Well, this is the problem. you got to find a musical with hot guys punching. The Spider-Man musical is no longer being performed. <laughs> right. The only <laughs> musical Anna ever wants to see in person. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> with music by U2. <laughs> Absolutely. Or was it just Bono? I can't remember. I don't re- I don't know anything about it other than that people got hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, the music was all written by I think Bono, possibly. We were literally just talking about this the other day um in our gaming group. Uh I think it was I think it was just Bono, but Incredible. Anyway, Spider-Man turn off the dark. Yeah. I, I liked how everyone at the apartment complex was kind of friendly with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of one of those, um, we become friends because we all live near each other and we all live together. Um, and so we have to like kind of form this community because of that. And I, I don't know. I, I like those kinds of I stories. like it, but as someone who's lived in apartments for the last while, um, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever experienced that. And <laughs> I don't know like I'm just like I don't this is maybe just saying more about me as a person I know it's definitely saying more about me as a person I panic (laughs) when I have to talk to my neighbors um like because I've heard I've heard them fighting and stuff you know just not not like serious like it's not a domestic violence situation but like I can clearly hear when they have disagreements about like going to their mothers for Thanksgiving or whatever so Mm -hmm. it's like awkward because it's like you know know more about you than you think I do yeah or like my other the neighbor on my other side who I'm like you definitely had parties when COVID started and that really informs my like view of you as a person um Mm -hmm. so it's hard you know to then like talk to them like you don't know that yes yeah and then you're also like what do they know about me and how I have to always what have do they sound think on. about my habits? Right. Like <laughs> a, that I basically never have people over, but B that I always have to have some sort of sound on. So like there are pot, this is cause this is the thing I hear they're arguing when they're nearby their bathroom. So I think uh-huh. there's like, like when they're getting ready and stuff. So I think there's like some sort of vent situation there where we can hear each other's bathrooms. Um, so like, 
what do they think about the fact that I have to listen to podcasts while I'm like showering in order to like, <laughs> function? Because I can't be alone with my thoughts for two oh, seconds. Oh, that's a terrifying idea. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. <laughs> I feel like at least so like we're in a rental home, but being in the home, you have the luxury of seeing what political signs people have mm. put in their yard. And yes, then you yes. know what neighbors are okay to talk to. Yes. <laughs> You also, though, in your current uh, housing situation, which I have visited, yes. everybody there is so smiley with each other, and that is not the vibe up it's the north South, man. at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was a weird. Like, we wave at everybody in waving. our neighborhood. So much waving, my arm gets tired. <laughs> I don't know these people's names, but I must wave at them. I it gotta feels wave compulsory. Them. Ugh. I like it. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, um, I think there's definitely a different, and and I think too, that comes with like, as time goes on, people are less what you would call neighborly, I guess. Like Mm -hmm. people just don't want to be up in everybody's business all the time. And maybe that has to do with the fact that you don't always have your wives at home doing nothing and therefore having to get into each other's business. So maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) And there's also like, obviously the language issue in this situation where it's like, okay, Mm. if you don't speak the language of the community at large, it is hard to make connections in that community. So you're going to default to the community that is, you know, available to you. So that very true makes sense in this context. Just not something that I personally relate to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I do. Um, the I don't know. They have the the neighbors are always like looking at what you're doing also Mm -hmm. and but like with the ability to then go and tell the like other people about it who you know I don't know like not spying necessarily but definitely gossipy yeah um we get that situation in this book very very tragically at the end um so that's our that's our first family and then our second family um we get the point of view of Mayor who is the younger son of what are their names? Something Celia and Raphael. Yes. She calls him Rafa. Yeah, so Celia and Raphael. Um, Mayor is their younger son, and he's he's the he has he has the difficult task of living up to her, his brother's accomplishments. Brother was like the soccer, soccer star soccer all-star yeah good grades very popular very attractive and my is kind of like i don't really i don't know where i fit in and what my or a fucking dweeb yeah yeah a little bit a little bit of a nerd maybe um he he tries out for the soccer team but is kind of spectacularly bad and um then quits the soccer team but lies to his parents about it um and tells them he is still playing soccer and just kind of makes up what happens at every game in practice to his dad, who um, is kind of described as just being a very temperamental, angry man. Who... He's emotionally abusive. Yes. Oh, my God. This <laughs> poor family. I mean, like, I don't I don't think this is like a case of us reading and being like, oh, this guy is emotionally abusive. Us is woke feminists see this but like yeah no he's i think he's he's written to be emotionally abusive (laughs) yes yeah and like wow i think we get do we get a pov chapter from him i'm trying to remember yes we do yeah yes so he talks about how he was like mm -hmm. yeah he had some difficulties in his childhood was on his own for a while and was just like drifting around in life from problem to problem and then he met his wife and was like oh I gotta clean up my act now but he's still like very angry and very quick to become enraged um like poor once he once he finds out that Mayor is lying about the soccer he grounds him for like six months yeah and there's like lines in Mayor's perspective because like there's the setup of this book is basically Alma and Mayor uh kind of handing off the narrative back and forth with interstitial mm-hmm. chapters in between from various other like characters where it's more like this is my story of coming to the America, other right? residents of the apartment um, complex yeah yeah and Mayor in one of his chapters uh he, he says something about like how he needed to like hit him and his brother are aware of like 
how to predict when his father is getting close to his like breaking point right and I was like okay so this is like like, different degrees of yes like this is textbook like living with an emotionally abusive parent like the kids are uh changing their um behavior in order to try to appease him when that is an impossible task right like because we see this a lot with what Mayor is going through like he's like oh so I know he's going to get mad about the soccer thing so I'm going to lie about it so that he doesn't get mad about it but then the lie becomes the thing that he gets mad at you know like it's Mm -hmm. there's no winning right exactly yeah so they are not exactly a happy family though they they try to put on that display I think also there's the the argument of like yeah, they're, he's a shithead for sure, but mm-hmm. as is the case with... Sorry, I'm going heavy on the abuse stuff today, guys, but as is the case with uh, any situation with abuse, it's not bad 100% of the time, yes, right? Like, yes. there are still... You can have complicated feelings about your parents and, you know, have that sort of, like, I love them, but they did these things that were bad, right? Like, yes. And for mm-hmm. Mayor, I mean, and also I think more for Celia seems like the affection between her and her husband is genuine and that there mm-hmm. is love there but also he when is emotionally happy. abusive to her like yes yeah when they're happy they're happy and when when and Enri- or when Raphael's unhappy they're both unhappy. unhappy yes <laughs> yeah even to the point where like the older son does not want to he like gets a full mm-hmm. ride for soccer at college and he like is Makes like this excuses. this is too depressing to come home he yeah. doesn't even hardly want to come home for Christmas so it's a whole situation. Um, they become friends with uh, the Riveras um, shortly after they move in. Um, Celia and Alma become pretty close friends, and Mayor and Maribel kind of strike up a friendship, which not no one really thought would happen because Maribel normally keeps to herself. She's doesn't like. It's not that she doesn't want to talk to anybody. I think it's just there's there's difficulty there with understanding her new limitations and and people being patient with her mm-hmm. and um you know it being easier to just you know not converse than otherwise and yeah. Mayor also an outcast just is like I have the time so I think, like, we see this with Alma a couple times where Alma, like, is talking to Maribel and gets frustrated very quickly and is like, why don't you remember the thing we just said? Like, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, Mayor is more willing to, you know, let Maribel take the time that she needs to process uh, thoughts. And because she has issues with short term memory loss and she mm-hmm. has, um, uh, like a flat like I think you said like a flat effect to her tone and yeah, stuff like no that like emotions. has yeah. has trouble showing emotions and stuff like that so I think that like I feel like the issue for Alma and Arturo and probably like if we were to look at Maribel and her you know history mm-hmm. um the, the her extended like friends and family and stuff probably it's not so much that like, oh, she's impossible to deal with or talk to. It's more just because they have this set notion of her as yeah, this yeah. one thing, right? And mm-hmm. uh, for and they want her to be better, right? And I think the fact that they can see the evidence of the problem persisting that makes them more frustrated. Yeah, and Mayor is like, I have no conception of how she was before this. This mm-hmm. is how she is to this me, is how she right is now. So yes cool yeah yeah and I, I liked their friendship um there were a couple times where I'm like okay maybe my is just being a little bit too clingy but mm-hmm. um I I was glad they had each other in a situation where they didn't have any other connections to people their age it seemed um and and Mayor and Maribel's relationship did seem beneficial to Maribel because yeah that combined with her going to a specialized school kind of helped with her healing as well as, you know, learning new skills and everything. Um, so she was starting to come out of her shell more. And eventually, as their relationship develops, it becomes romantic. And, uh, I mean, that was fine, I guess. It wasn't the I don't worst. know if I needed it. but I was more or less okay with it. Yeah. Um, I think that the fact that 
I mean, spoiler from the end of this book, they don't end up together long term. Made me mm-hmm. okay with it. I was like, yeah. yeah, this isn't like a super healthy relationship. It's very codependent mm-hmm. on, especially on Mayor's part, I think. Yeah. Because I think Maribel is kind of like, I think this is just like a typical teenage relationship, maybe from her perspective. Um, but Mayor is like so attached immediately. <laughs> Well, and this kind of gets into the big issue I had with this book, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I I feel like this is intentional on the author's part. I just don't know if I agree with it as a move. Um, So we hear all of the viewpoints of all of these characters, right? Mm -hmm. Except for Maribel. Yes. Maribel is one of the only characters to not get a viewpoint chapter. And that in itself would be frustrating. But the thing that is more frustrating to me is that uh, there are multiple times in this book where Mayor is like, you don't know what's best for Maribel. You never talk to her or ask her what she's thinking. And Mayor does not maybe, because there's like, you know, hand wavy, like they have talks together and they talk all the time and they hang out all the time. So like, I'm sure he talked to her about it then. Doesn't really happen on page that much. And we, as the audience, don't get to talk to Maribel, right? Like- We don't get what her perspective is on all of this. And she is one of the only characters, including a dead character, who does not get her perspective in this book. And that really frustrates me Mm -hmm. in terms, again, as a, like, as a move, I get it. I get it as, like, okay, she is the the object, the the thing that these other characters are revolving around, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that I like the fact that the only disabled character in this book is filling that role. Yeah. Everyone else is describing her for her. Yes. And I'm like, this is giving me some very, um, icky feelings about like the, about the treatment of Maribel. And again, I don't know how much of this is like intentional on the part of the author. And we are supposed Mm -hmm. to feel like a little bit outraged that we are also not getting Maribel's viewpoint and how much of this is, you know, an oversight. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Or like, like, I don't want to believe that the author was like, of course, I'm not going to do a perspective from Maribel's chapter or from Maribel's, a chapter from Maribel's perspective because she is non-neurotypical and that would be too hard or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I hope that wasn't the intent or I hope that the intent was I'm intentionally leaving Maribel out because Mayor is asking these questions and I want the audience to think of these to questions. To also ask those right? questions, yeah. But either way, I was still kind of like, hey, like you could have given her the last chapter. Is That's what, what I was going to say. Do you think the book would have been improved? Yes. So, because like, okay, let's just, spoiler alert, the person who dies in this book is Maribel's father. Um, and the last chapter of this book we get from Alma, his wife's point of view, and it is brutal. I thought it that was the penultimate chapter, and then Arturo's was the last chapter. Oh, was it? I thought it was I vice versa. So. Yeah. Let me look real quick. Either Cause one. Because I, I, the thing is, I spoiled this for myself because at about 75% of the way through the book, when shit starts kicking off, I was like, I'm going to be furious if Maribel doesn't get a chapter in this. So I did mm. skim through the whole thing, and I'm pretty sure Arturo's, yeah, oh, Arturo's the is. last yes, one. Yes, Arturo's is the last yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, Maribel had that chapter instead of her mother. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that would have been. No, I would have given her the last one instead of Arturo. Cause I think oh, that I has the same impact mm-hmm. on the book of like a person who hasn't had a voice up to this point, having mm-hmm. a voice. And I feel like, I feel like that's again, it's kind of, I hate to compare it to this book, but it does give me me before you vibes, right. Of like, Oh, the the person with a disability is the object lesson, right? And we don't yes. need to hear from them because that's the point that we don't listen to them. And isn't that sad? And it's like, yes, but I've read a million books in which the person with the disability is the object lesson. And isn't it sad that we don't listen to them? So I yes, don't know why yeah. you're telling me this same thing. And I feel like you have so much other stuff going on in this book that like this didn't need to be the thing. And I, I just... I don't, I, I, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that Maribel is this character who everybody else centers around and is concerned about and is connected to and is this linchpin mm-hmm. in it. And we're not going to get 
what she thinks of any of this, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I didn't I didn't really pick up on that when I read it, but now that you say it that yeah, it does seem like especially at the end because we are getting all of this like you know, um she's she's getting better and she's talking more to people, she's opening up more and she's emoting more and everything mm-hmm. and also, like, the, the the events at the end of the book are all centered around her and what she is doing. And it's yeah. all just, like, my other or, people, my or, my or, which... Which, yeah. I, I feel like anytime there is disability in fiction, I kind of, like, question what was the purpose of this being included, right? And mm-hmm. if the answer is because people with disabilities exist, great, cool. Um, if the answer is to teach the other characters a lesson, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because this is, it kind of turns into like a weird, like Mayor coming of age centered thing, which mm-hmm. is like not there's, the book I wanted to read. There's huge Manic Pixie Dream Girl vibes with the whole Mayor thing. Yes. And... Because the thing about Maribel is she's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. She's the most beautiful girl, and isn't it a shame? Is is her whole is everyone's view towards her? Yes. essentially. And there is kind of this reversal with Mayor, where I think he he explicitly says at one point that if it wasn't for the fact that she was uh, non neurotypical, she would not want to be with him. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yikes! Like, oh, yeah. dude. She wouldn't even give me the time of day. Which, okay, like... So he's like, I gotta, I gotta, like, take the opportunity here and swoop in, which... Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if I like the romantic aspect. I think yes. it would have been fine if they were just friends, because, like, the only thing I feel like the romance adds to it is the tension it creates when... So a neighbor sees them smooching in the, um, in Mayor's dad's car... Um, and Mayor has suffered from some premature ejaculation and a neighbor <laughs> sees them kissing and sees Mayor his pants wet and is like, okay, they've been having sex. So I got to tell somebody and that leads to their separation. And while we never get to hear what Maribel's feelings on that was, other than that, like her mom's like, she seems kind of sad lately. Mayor is like devastated and he... It, it snows one day. He goes to Maribel's school in, in his dad's car and takes her out of school early to go see the snow somewhere. And they are out. They, they're they going to drive back, but the snow is snowing too much. And they fall asleep until like 1 a.m., waiting for the snow to quit. And um, by that point, everybody is desperately searching for them. Mm. Alma is very, like throughout the whole book, very like, uh, like her whole world right now is Maribel and I need to be basically like almost smothering Maribel in motherly attention because of the injuries that Maribel has sustained. She's like, this is, I have, I have personally taken on every responsibility, um, every, you know, I have to, she basically has to do everything like almost She's just guilt-ridden because she thinks that it's her fault that this that everything well, has happened. Because her husband directly blamed her when it happened. Yeah, and then at the end of the book was like, I never blamed you. I don't remember. You need to get I over the recall. guilt. And I was like, well, he kind of did. I mean, um, but also, like, I get, because I, I don't blame Arturo either because I think Arturo is like, he was, he was like, I, I'm sorry if I said that it was in the heat of the moment. I didn't mean it, you know? And, like, yeah, I, yeah. you know, obviously Alma inter- internalized this and he didn't, right? Um, yes, yeah. Which... You know, that shit happens. Sometimes people say stuff that has, like, a very serious effect on you that they super that don't they recall. they don't even think about. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she's always, like, hyper aware of where Maribel is and when is she supposed to be home and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody's kind of, like, worked up into a frenzy. Um, and there previously has been a boy in another apartment complex. who He's a known bully at um, Mayor's school. And he's kind of just a local troublemaker. He's got a skateboard and a tattoo. But he's also, he's also a lecherous, like, he's, he's constantly trying to sexually assault Maribel. And Alma 
sees this happening, steps in, is like, hey, you get out of here, leave, don't do this, what are you doing? But of course, she can't speak very much English, so she's desperate to get her point across and becomes even more like, uh, not domineering, but like, just even more alert and aware and worried, anxious about what Maribel is doing, who she's with, who else is there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would almost say she becomes um, paranoid. Like, I would say yes, she, that's she becomes paranoid. Yes. Um, yeah. Like, there's a point where they're in a in a pizza restaurant celebrating, which they can't afford pizza, so they're just drinking water. This is the mm-hmm. sort of sad shit that is just constant in this book. Um, yeah. But they're sadly drinking their water in a pizza restaurant, and she thinks she hears the skateboard rattling into the pizza restaurant, and it's just a stroller. Like, so it's just, like, constantly she's worried about... And yeah, it, which you, you like, mentioned that he's, like, constantly sexually harassing her, and he's not... I mean, like, it's not been, like, twice. Me, he yeah. does it twice, right? Yeah. Um, and then he says some shit to... Because he sees Mayor with her, so he says some shit to Mayor at school. And this was another instance of, like, if these people just talked about it, they would realize, but, like... Yes, because purposely, like, keeps why would you why would you go to your your neighbor's mom and be like hey so a bully at my school said some shit about your daughter like that wouldn't actually happen but also it was very frustrating because like everybody's got the information pieces and you know all keeping a secret like alma refuses to tell arturo because she's Mm -hmm. like i said that i would take on all of the responsibilities when it came to maribel all arturo had to do was like work and because he has the work visa until um, he loses his job because that's the sort of sad shit that you yes, just have to constantly deal with in this job. book. Mayor's dad loses his job. There's um, the recession. Um, there was a <laughs> lot of political stuff in this book, which I yeah. don't know that I feel uh, capable of handling. But like, this was right after Obama was elected the second time. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, commentary on like how the, come on, uh, the economy affects you know racial tensions and mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. sort of the whole adage of like if you can convince the poorest white man that i think this is an actual quote that i'm butchering right now but like mm-hmm. um if you can convince the poorest white man that brown people are below him then uh he won't focus on you know the, the people above him the people above him right yeah um yeah. so there is this vibe with this kid garrett especially because you know like his brother died in the war and uh, his mom left because of it and his dad's a drunk and beats him you know so it's like okay yeah, yeah. so they're racist because their life sucks get it but you know mm-hmm. also they that's they still suck um, yeah yeah I will say the one um, thing that I did really since I bitched about the rep in this I will say the thing mm-hmm. that I really liked about this book um, there was a chapter which I believe was from Mayor's perspective mm-hmm. about kind of their community's response to 9-11 oh um, yeah I like that too yes I thought that was like a really uh, important I guess uh, part of this book it, it, like the whole book wasn't about that right but like no it was just kind of a, an aside kind of yes. like yes but yeah. the fact that in, it was in there, I was like, that informs a lot about kind of like the, you know, we will always talk about like pre 9-11, post 9-11 and how that was like a big split in American culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've read so many accounts of like uh, 9-11 and kind of how culture shifted after that. And a lot of those are accounts are from white people. And a lot mm-hmm. of those accounts are from uh, Middle Eastern people or people who pass as Middle Eastern. But I thought this was really interesting. Um not past as Middle Eastern, but a pure Middle Eastern. Um, mm-hmm. I thought this was like a really interesting um, uh, viewpoint of like the immigrant in America going through this, but not immigrants from the Middle East, right? Because I feel like mm-hmm. that's usually the account and kind of like the different responses that they have and that sort of thing. So yeah. I really like that, A plus on that section. Yeah, I like that too. I'm. Segway. So (laughs) (laughs) that was a very good, poignant thought. Um, Back to the book. We (laughs) the the children are gone until one a.m. and at this point, Alma finally tells Arturo, "Hey, there's this boy that's been harassing Maribel. This is where he lives. Maybe he took her." Arturo is like, "Dang, wish you told me about this sooner." Don't blame yourself for everything that happened. I got to go over there, though. So he runs over to that other apartment complex and 
with the with the attempt to confront this child meets meets the meets the guy's dad and the dad has a shotgun and he kills Arturo. Very sad. I'm sorry I was laughing through it. It's I just know. it's just when you say he goes to confront this child, it's just a different vibe. Like Yeah. He's not really. I guess to me like No, he is a child. He's under He is. He's like, he's a high schooler. <laughs> yeah. And I, I understand. There's there's a lot of things going on here where they feel like Maribel is maybe not able to defend herself on her own. And obviously you're in protective parent mode. He does go over there to yell at a kid and, but meets the dad who was very drunk and very racist. Um, and th- that sad, the kids come back, drive back in the car and they go directly to the hospital. And then after Arturo is pronounced dead, um, Alma and Maribel, well, Alma decides to take Maribel back to Mexico. Um, and they go. And they go, and in the car, she's like, hey, Maribel, you good? And Maribel's like, I'm fine. And Alma's like, that's all I ever wanted. That's all I needed <laughs> like, to hear this whole that, time. I'm like, that was a weird ending to this whole yeah. thing. <laughs> and then we get a... That wasn't a, super satisfying. And then we get a chapter from Arturo, and that was, you know, sad. Um, yeah, it's because he's like, I, you know, it's... It's hard. This isn't the life I'm used to or the life I ever dreamed of, but I'm glad we came here. The yeah. people that we live near are wonderful. Um, the opportunities are great. I just, the, the Maribel's last, getting better. Uh, the last couple chapters of the book, he says, I'm overcome when I think about this place and about what it's given us. Maribel is getting stronger. I can see it every day a little bit more. A safe area to live. Such good friends. It's incredible. One day when we go back to Mexico and people ask me what it was like here, I will tell them those things. I will tell them all the ways I loved this country. So, okay. So with this ending, Mm -hmm. do you think this book is pro-America or (laughs) anti-America? That's a very good question because we do not get a very nice representation of America the entire book. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, it's kind of like Arturo's like, yeah, yeah, all of that. But... We were happy sometimes. Well, here's that specific, the way that that is phrased, where he says, when I go back, I will tell them all the ways I yeah. love the country. Because we know he goes back in a body bag, and he's yeah. not going to get to tell them that, right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of like... A like safe it's, area to live. And that's... Right, right. Like, safe area to live doesn't come true because he, you know, gets shot and murdered by someone. Yeah. Such good friends like Kiskea, who's the the one who tells them about Mayor and um, Maribel hooking up and kind of kicks all this shit off, is doing that because she's fucking pissed that Alma snaked her friend, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what the, it's she's just petty just stirring up drama, yeah, petty shit stirring, right? So it's kind of yes. like I don't know. I was like that was some. Maybe this is dumb of me to be impressed by this, but I'm like, that was some clever maneuvering at the end there to be like, to state like, oh, isn't this country great? Sort of, and also be like, but the yeah. fact that I am stating it in this way in itself disproves the point, As I right? am dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So then, yeah, if it is, if it is anti-America, does that change whether or not it can be a great American novel? I mean, Great Gatsby is anti-America, right? Like, Great Gatsby is very much anti the America that is being presented in this novel, right? Like, mm-hmm. the rich upper class, and the, like, they are bad in that book. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that that, I don't think that keeps it from being a great American novel at all. Um, it's just describing what is occurring. Yeah, and I don't, I think saying it's anti-American is, you know, reductive, and I brought that in, and you know, as just to be kind of cheeky but mm-hmm. obviously i don't think that the the author actually is like down with america yeah america yeah, bad no. <laughs> uh you know or america good like i think that is a very facile way to kind of look at at the situation and i mm-hmm. don't think that that's what enriquez is arguing at all um no no i think it was just another like one last sad thing to leave yeah, you yeah, with yeah. <laughs> hey sad times oh uh, well that was this book. That was this book. We did you know, it. Glad I read it. We'll never return to it. Very sad. Mm. Very sad book. Very sad. Looking forward to reading less sad things. Um, uh, usually sad things are my jam, but this was, I 
read this book. I read most of this book. And then I went and watched about once a year. I'll get into this YouTube like rabbit hole of um, what would you do type videos, you know? Okay. Uh, or like social experiments. And I know these are bad. You guys don't have to tell me that most of these are probably fake and they're bad and I shouldn't be watching them. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, like the sort of videos where it's like they spin like three wheels. They're like, what if pregnant woman spins another wheel, cries, spins another wheel, in front of husband, what will people do? Like, what if child oh. spins a wheel, does homework, spins a wheel in the streets? What will people do? Right? Like, that I've never sort of seen video. a video like this. I don't oh my think. God. Need... <laughs> Just borrow your YouTube algorithm real quick. This used to be a television show. It might still be a television show, but it's hosted by John Quinones in America um, mm-hmm. called What Would You Do? where he does these take basically the they take an actor and they set up a situation and they see how people react to them okay Um, but various other pranksters former pranksters on youtube and various other channels do this format of like it kind of stressed me out i think the secondhand embarrassment so usually the the one that i got into the rabbit hole of was a chinese uh video group called uh tree man i believe it is and (laughs) It always starts the same way with one of uh-huh. Tree Man's friends saying, hi, I'm Tree Man's friend, insert name here. What would happen if this happened? What will people do, right? And okay. then they acted out in front of various people and all of the people, uh, usually like they'll do a couple where like the people don't react and their faces are blurred. So you know they're not going to react because they didn't stop to get a release form right. signed yeah. afterwards. <laughs> no waivers. Um, so, so we couldn't show them, but they saw and they ignored, right? And then it will be like, heartwarming people with sometimes poor translations that I'm not sure if really the meaning is getting across, but, you know, trying to support whatever the per- whoever the actor is who's in distress in whatever way. And then at the end, they'll put, like, a, a black screen with, like, a line, like, if you don't help her, who will? Or, like, <laughs> thank you for your helping hand. But it's acting. I mean, like, she's <laughs> acting, but, like, the people involved aren't so this was like the vibe going into the last 25 percent of this book was i had just watched this shit for like two hours i was like this was not the right call for my mental health on any platform like oh so anyway looking forward to to anything else new unit new us (laughs) new youtube algorithms (laughs) next week we'll be back with another morphs monday with animorphs number 140 nope that's our episode number. that's a lot animorphs <laughs> number 46 the deception um the week Thanks after that it actually won't be a new unit we'll be wrapping up our prehistoric unit yes so what are we what are we doing for that anna i'm real excited about this one i um for those of you that follow us on Twitter, you may already know what we're going to be reading, but I was looking up prehistoric novels on Goodreads, and I came across a very, very enticing novel. It is called Raptor Red by Robert T. Baker or Backer. It's two Ks. It is a prehistoric novel. It takes place 120 million years ago in prehistoric Utah, and the main character, whose name is Raptor Red, is in fact... A dinosaur. It's just a dinosaur. It's a dinosaur book written from the perspective of a dinosaur. So that'll be a book. I'm very excited. Uh, it sounds it sounds just like the type of weird I like, but who knows? Maybe I'll probably be disappointed. I feel like it's secretly going to be really sad. Oh my God, if we have to read another <laughs> sad book for this fucking podcast. Look, the, the secret wrap-up to the prehistoric unit that's after the wrap-up to the prehistoric unit almost certainly won't be sad and will be horny, so look forward to that one. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait for that. I can, but I can't. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, if you have a book you would like us to cover on the podcast, either because you think we would love it or hate it, you can tweet at us at ShuffleWareCast or email us ShuffleWareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should. I know you're real excited to hear about the horny prehistoric book we maybe have coming for you someday soon. Haha, <laughs> coming. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> 
if you use Apple Podcasts, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you don't, that's all right. You're allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you would like. In the words of Christina Enriquez, when she didn't offer anything else, sitting there with her mouth pinched, Arturo said, and what is it? It only started with a kiss, Kiss Kaya said. How did it end up like this? It was only a kiss. It was, it only, was only a kiss. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. <laughs> Oh my god, that was so good. Okay, I'm recording. Oh, who's starting this one? Uh, I don't know. I can start if you want. Welcome back, literary slummers. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. We just watched the episode of Taskmaster where Alex interrupts Greg and then when he says welcome back to Taskmaster and then Greg just throws a whole glass of water at him. I need to do that to you now. (laughs) I mean, if you can figure out a way to throw water at me via internet. It's hot in my room. I'd appreciate it. Mail you a water bottle and say, kindly open this and pour it over your head. I don't know if that has quite the same effect. (laughs) Okay.